The Entrepreneur Adventure, giving entrepreneurs the tools to climb higher and faster than ever before. So I'm a parent, so I know you're not supposed to have favorites. And as a podcast host, these episodes are kind of like my kids, you know what I'm saying? But this is one of my favorites, and I'll tell you the reason why. By the way, this is the Entrepreneur Adventure Podcast. I'm your host, Josh Melton, the Sidekick Prophet, joined by my co-host, Mr. Chad Brown, the serial CFO. And let me tell you why this is one of my favorites, because this is an interview we did with my good friend, Melinda Walker. And Melinda launched a side gig business in a very down economy, built it to six figures, built it to full-time income, built it to her and her husband are full-time in the business. This is the primary income earning opportunity in the household. And not only that, but is now teaching others how to do the exact same thing. So I'm a sucker for the good side gig success stories. You know what I'm saying? And this is one for sure. So ladies and gents, here is my good friend, Miss Melinda Walker. Welcome back to another edition of the Entrepreneur Adventure Podcast. I'm Josh Melton, the side gig prophet here with my co-host, Mr. Chad Brown. And I am Chad Brown, the serial CFO. We'd like to welcome today Melinda Walker. She is our business owner guest today. We're going to learn so much about her story, her business, a lot we can teach you today. Uh, We're pumped at some of the stories she can share. Um, She's been a a leader in her business and the community and uh, part of some mentor groups and different things throughout the years and ton of knowledge, ton of experience. Cannot wait to dive in. So, um, Melinda, welcome. Thank you. Glad to be here. Let's start it off easy. Tell us about your business. Tell us the name. Tell us a little bit about what you do. The business's name is Athens Pet Sitter. We come to your home to care for your pets. Been doing it for 13 years. Ooh, goes by fast. No, it goes by very, very slowly. It's been a <laughs> yeah. long 13 years. How long is that? Is that 13 years in dog years or is that <laughs> right. human years? Because you could be in business for a long time or a short time. We don't really know. Yeah. Well, I have a 14-year-old, and that is who prompted me to start this business. I can easily keep up with how long it is. So compared to having a teenager running this business, no problem. All right. So your 14-year-old boy or girl? Girl. Girl. When she was one, she had this idea? Is that is that what we're getting at? She or had the there... idea of having her mom around. Ah, keeping, okay. Keeping her mom out of a cubicle and in business. So you became a business owner to have more free time. That's exactly right. How's that working out? It was great at the beginning, the very, very beginning, because my husband had a full-time job and supported the whole family, and I just kind of did this thing on the side so that my parents wouldn't be too upset about paying for me to go to college, and my husband wouldn't be too upset about having married a fully employed person, and three years later, oh, I'm going to be a stay-at-home mom. So I said, oh, I'll start this little business on the side. It won't take up much time, but I can say I'm doing something, right? <laughs> Absolutely. Yeah, so it sounds started, like total bait and switch game to me. Yeah, yeah. I also claimed I liked football before I married my husband. <laughs> so there's all kinds of stuff going on there. So I I, I um, support that. I, I totally believe uh, anything said pre-marriage is date mode and you can yeah. lie or say whatever you want to. He was an adult. Come on. Absolutely. Yeah. Just because he didn't do his due diligence. That's his problem. I cannot right? help that. I cannot. Yeah, a special segment of the every podcast episode <laughs> is that something that the truth comes out. And we let our spouses listen to this. It's an easy way to break some things to them. So yeah, yeah. your husband will find out that you don't like football. He knows. He is well aware that now the only thing I like about football is that I look really good in red and black. 
That's <laughs> what I've learned about football. So, so tell us about pet sitting. As far as in, it was, did you decide when you were a kid, like, I want to grow up and be a pet sitter? How did you choose pet sitting as your business opportunity? I didn't choose pet sitting, Josh. Pet sitting chose me. Oh, that's good. Yeah. yeah. I originally started when I was a mom, staying home mom, I was going to run errands for people. Mm-hmm. Flexible time. It was called Athens Errands. It was my first business. Oh, great name. Love it. Yeah, okay. Yeah. yeah. Unfortunately, there was only one other person that loved it. I got one client in Athens Errands, but it uh, turned out a lot of people wanted pet sitting. And that kind of goes together in larger cities. We didn't have that situation here, but in larger cities, there are errands and pet sitting. So it made, a, made good sense. Quickly, it became pet sitting is what was more interesting to people and what they needed, what they were willing to pay for, which is kind of important in business. So you started out in the errand side and just pivoted the business based on the, what the consumer and the customer wanted and needed. Right. Eventually, when it got down to actually wanting to make a living with this business, mm-hmm. I realized it wasn't about what I wanted to do with my day. It was about what other people wanted to pay me to do with my day. That's what made it a busy a business versus that hobby that I started out with. So backing up 14 years ago, uh, before the Athens Aaron, so Athens Aaron, Athens, Athens Aaron's Aaron's. Okay, Athens Aaron's. Before Athens Aaron's, uh, what were you doing? What did you start out doing? Where, where were you working at the time before you transitioned to a stay-at-home mom? What's any background in in that concierge service or? Yeah. Well, I went to the University of Georgia and graduated with a business degree thanks to my brother who was home from Georgia the weekend I filled out my application. He said, Mark Business. (laughs) When I said, I don't know what I want to do. What should my major be? He said, Mark Business, because once you get to Georgia, your grades will not be good enough to transfer into the business school and you won't have to take a foreign language. And he was right. I marked business and he was right again that if I'd have waited and gone through those core classes, I would have never gotten into the business school. So I had a little bit of that business background, but when I was there, I really wanted to work in nonprofits. So I had a internship with the University of Georgia, the graduate school, and I volunteered with the Boy Scouts of America. And a week after graduating from UGA, I started my first full-time job, which was with the Boy Scouts. And a year after graduating, I married the son of my boss at my internship. My senior year was quite influential for the rest of my life. Nice, nice. Now, this uh, small stint in the Boy Scout organization, I assume there's probably not a tremendous amount amount of female staff? At the time that I was there, there was one. It was was me. Uh It was me. I stood out quite a bit. It was a wonderful (laughs) experience. I got to do all the things that you do in business. I got to coordinate volunteers, got to recruit, I did fundraising, everything I would need to run my business, I really learned in that in that first job. Awesome. I awesome. thought the best part was public speaking. I had this nine county area and I would go around, I would be recruiting volunteers or fundraising. So I would go to small community groups like the JCs or such. And I would get a warm reception when I did my little talk. And I thought, wow, I am a really good public speaker. Look at me. And then the years went by and I realized, wow, 
I was a cute 23-year-old in a Boy Scout uniform. <laughs> it might not have been my engaging speaking skills. Chad tried the same thing out when he was 23, dressed like a Boy Scout and did talks, but it didn't go as well for him. I, don't, so. I can't imagine why. There's some difference in us. Yeah, I didn't raise a whole lot of funds. That, no. that time. Some anti-funds. Please, please change. So, so of all the things to go into, um, of all your options to transform over to the business side and apply the skills you learned at the Boy Scout organization, why the air and business? What, what led you in that direction? I think what most people start, that seemed like a fun thing to do. It seemed like yeah. a great way to start my day, spend my day helping people, getting things done, getting out of the house, but having plenty of flexibility and being able to be home, being a mom most of the time. Freedom. That was the kind of the drawing that factor. Was, uh, that was it, has been it, and it still is. So, Melinda, freedom. what was the first, when it, like your story, you're getting started being a business owner, really as almost like a side gig, right? Like you're doing it. You're doing it full time. It's kind of like a just bring in a little bit of income, see what happens. Let's do the errands thing. Did you before that want to be a business owner? Did you know when you were younger, I think I want to own my own business, or was it just when you decided I'm going to be a stay at home mom? I got to do something. This is what I'll do. When did I the always, entrepreneur adventure start for you? I always wanted to be the boss. When my I was growing up, my dad was an attorney, and I would say, "Why do you have to go into work?" He'd say. The judge says court starts at nine, so I have to be there at nine. And I said, well, I want to be the judge then. And I will start court <laughs> when I want to start court. But that didn't really translate into business. I didn't realize that that was such a big part of it until later. It was totally, this is a thing I can get away with. I can do this little thing on the side and claim. No plans to scale, to have employees, Not at the beginning. to have Not websites, to be running around crazy during the holiday season. That was not uh, in your business model at all. At the not time. at all. But then the 2007 housing mm -hmm. crisis hit our family personally, and my husband was laid off. And we looked at each other and said, we can either get another job. He can get a job. I can get a job. And we can put our financial future in someone else's hands again, and they can fail us again or we have this little tiny thing going on. So yeah, 2007, 2008, housing recession and your husband, um, both of you found yourselves looking for a direction to go from an employment standpoint. 2008, excuse me, 2007, October 2007 is when he started looking for a new opportunity and we made the decision to invest in ourselves to make this into whatever it was going to be. We had no idea what it could be. What a great story and something in such a hard negative time, something so positive come out, something y'all be able, been able to grow and work together in. And um, I assume now you're both very involved from a day-to-day -day standpoint. We are too involved. Yes, <laughs> we are both involved too much so sometimes. Do the two of you manage everything or do you have managers in place? How have you kind of built out your business model to handle um, some of the, the workload and especially the seasonality behind what you do? Now, 13 years later, we have systems in place and we have people that can handle anything that needs to be done. We don't have to be here on a day-to-day -day basis. We don't really have anything else going on. So we are here mostly, but we try to take long vacations. We try to step away from the business. And all that freedom that we were searching for in the beginning has 
finally arrived, but it definitely was not part of the the building years. It was very little freedom. It was tied to when someone else wants work, you worked. Someone wants you to go to the lake and hang out, you say no to your friend, and you say, yes, of course I'm available to be here for you while you go to the lake. I'll take care of your pets. I'll do what needs to be done. That was a good 10 years. So if you're if you're speaking to a young entrepreneur or a new business owner, do you believe now it takes those 10 years to build and grow your business properly? Or do you believe if you'd implemented systems five years quicker, it could have been different? I definitely think it could have been quicker. I do see value in putting in at least a good year of full season, seeing how a whole year runs, how it is to be, how it is to give up weekend after weekend after weekend before you ask someone else to do that that's working for you to see how it is to do it for yourself. Telling your own family, we're going to have Christmas on December 27th this year. (laughs) No one will know. Before you ask someone else to do that, I'm glad that we did it. I think we probably could have learned our lessons a little bit earlier. Probably shouldn't have taken 10 years, but we're kind of DIYers. It was hard. Absolutely. So you had to do kind of a throwback Thursday Christmas. Like, look, look at us. We're having Christmas now. Throwback Thursday. That's right. That's right. Now, my kids never knew when Christmas was. How would they know? Yeah, and Santa just, can just, he can be 100% focused on you. He's gotten toys to other kids. He can take his time setting up your, your Christmas gifts at your right. house, right? It can just be, you have Santa's undivided attention on the 27th. Yeah, exactly. Shoulder I mean, season. You could really spin that story like Santa takes care of the cats and dogs Christmas on the 25th. Oh, yeah. Then Santa switches to people on the 27th. You know, as long as there were some presents under the tree, the kids really didn't ask that many questions. They were okay with it. Yeah. So I want to I want to stay camped out here for just a second. And in the process of doing this, hearing your startup story, because you went kind of not against your will, but you didn't necessarily plan in time when to go part-time to full-time. And not only when to go part-time to full-time, and I understand you were already kind of full-time in the business, but to go like completely full-time. Like our family's income is 100% based on this business. So in light of taking some time, this is a refreshing, refreshing moment. And you do have a drink in front of you. It hasn't been opened. I want to give you an opportunity to open your drink and Chad will tell us what it is. Local, local beer. Today we are drinking Creature Comforts Classic City Lager. It is one of my favorites. Um, Obviously it's local uh, Creature Comforts. I love it there. If you haven't been, you should check it out, but always a good kind of anytime beer. So anytime. Yeah. And the things we find as entrepreneurs is that because of the stress, uh, you oftentimes find yourself looking for an opportunity to have a beer. So we just incorporated it into the podcast. We might as well have a nice cold drink while we're sharing these stories of our entrepreneur adventures. So Melinda, on your story, again, you couldn't plan the economic collapse of 2007. Your I husband loses his job. I did not plan the economic collapse of 2007. Thank you for clarifying. I didn't know if it was a mastermind for you altering the day of Christmas. <laughs> so we're going to celebrate Jesus' birth on the 27th. Uh, Melinda masterminded all of that. Now, you can't plan for all that things, but you guys were able to pivot and adjust and say, all right, this is what we're going to do. We're not going to go work for the man anymore. We're going to be the man. We're going to call our own shots. We're going to do our own thing. What kind of income was your business pulling in at that time? If you remember, like, is this like, like seriously like part-time income at the point or is it already like a full-time income? What were you starting at when you decided to go all in? The money I was making pet sitting or running errands or anything on the side was negligible. It was n- nothing. I mean, I was 
I wasn't even keeping up with how much money it was. It was just, just a little something to do on the side, a little target run, maybe extra fun stuff to do with the baby. It was, I'm not really sure why we decided, Hey, let's put our whole financial future in this little thing. It's a true side gig. This is just play total side gig. Okay. Accountant loves to hear. I wasn't even keeping up with it. (laughs) Yeah. that's, that was pre-chat. pre-chat. If okay. the IRS is listening, we're gonna we're past we're past the statute of limitations. Okay. We're good. <laughs> Speak the truth, Melinda. Uh, so complete uh, risk from you and your husband's standpoint. What's his name, by the way? What's Daniel. Your, Daniel. Okay. Daniel. What did Daniel do previous to the recession? He was in the housing industry. Okay. Gotcha. So so complete, uh, just all in risk. Uh, we're putting all our cards in this basket. And and where did you? How did you decide to go from this side gig to, well, not how did you decide to go, how did you transition into getting more customers or building a business from a side gig to now we were both here and we both need to support our families through this business? What yeah, was the, how many customers did you have? What the steps to, to grow that quick and, and to transition? First, we had very little debt. We had... I'm not even sure if we even had car payments. We would have had a mortgage, but we we just didn't live. We had lived on his income and we saved money out of his income. So we had a nest egg. We didn't have to worry about just the next, where was the next meal coming So you guys from. weren't living paycheck to paycheck. Did we were never living that. paycheck to paycheck. And I think that's a huge thing. If we hadn't already started the business, even though the business was barely a business, we probably wouldn't have said, hey, you know what we should do? We should start a pet sitting business. I already had enough of an in. So quick, quick question there. Is this something that was instilled in the two of you growing up by your parents? Is this something just jointly you decided uh, coming out of college? Hey, we're going to build our expenses uh, to the point where we can save some money. Uh, what, what prompted you to be in such a stable financial condition transitioning into this? Both of our families taught us to spend less than we make. Mm-hmm. Both of our families provided for us to go to college. We were able to graduate with no student debt, and that's a huge leg up. I wouldn't call it luck. I would say it was hard work. It wasn't hard work on our part, though. It was hard work on the generation before us who who taught us to continue that way, and it worked for them. It looked good. They were never stressed about money, so we wanted to continue that. And I'm not really sure we even ever talked about it. It was just such ingrained in us to not, not spend more than we had. We both liked doing things like hanging out and going outside and playing with the dog. And when we first got married, we had a goat, a goat named Pearl. And <laughs> that was your lawnmower then. That was your lawnmower. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And that's, that's how we like to spend our time, just hanging out with each other. We go canoeing. We didn't, we just didn't live. At, oh, big thing. When I married my husband, he worked for the beer company. So that was a huge expense, you know, not that we didn't have to pay for. Oh, nice. Yeah. Yeah. Win, win there. Yeah. I like that. mm -hmm. Very cool. All right. So you got a little bit of money saved up. You have very little debt. Uh, You got yourself in a position where your monthly expenses aren't drastically unaffordable. Uh, Now you're both committed to the pet sitting business. And what do you do? How do you grow it? How did it work? What happened? What did you learn? The, probably the first thing I did, now this would have been back in 2007, 2008. Free I website? I made mm-hmm. a Google site. Do you remember those? Okay. Those little yeah. websites you can oh, make yeah. yourself? Absolutely. Uh, now this is before the 
we're going full time or this is after the we're going full time that you developed the Google site? This is probably after. Okay. So develop the site, immediately start getting traffic, customers start calling or not really or? That was so long ago, it's hard to remember. I remember that we went to the University of Georgia's vet school and we attended an event there and oh, we got idea. to know a client of theirs. She lived about 30 minutes from our house, but she wanted a dog walk for her dog every day. That doesn't seem like a profitable idea to drive 30 minutes away, but we didn't have a whole lot of other business going on. So we decided, go ahead. My husband, who is 6'1", 175 pounds, bought himself a Honda Rebel motorcycle, which <laughs> if you don't know what that is, it's about the size of an office chair. And he commuted to that client's house five days a week. So he found a way to make it profitable he because he was getting 70 miles to the gallon on this little tiny motorcycle. Right. Okay, and this is one of your first like consistent clients. That was one of our first consistent clients. We had we had some other first clients, but that was an everyday paid us, made a decision to purchase a motorcycle just for that. And he was not like, oh, hey, this would be a good excuse for me to mo ride a motorcycle. It was, I'm sitting behind a campus bus in 95 degree Athens, Georgia weather because this thing gets 70 miles to the gallon and every penny I don't spend on gas goes in my family's budget, feeds my family. Like it. So it is very much the do whatever it takes mentality. It was do whatever it takes. Say yes, say yes, say yes. And did that client refer other clients or did you go start visiting vets or did you start knocking on doors? How did it grow from there? We did start knocking on doors. I spent a good amount of time walking around with a stroll with my daughter in her stroller. I would hand write business cards. Not because other options didn't exist. I just, again, I just wasn't that smart. I didn't, I didn't go for the, the investment. I thought, oh, I'll just write these business cards. You hadn't heard of Vistaprint yet. Vistaprint wasn't a thing yet. <laughs> it wasn't so cheap. And I would put a little, get a little baggie, have my business cards and a dog treat. And I put it on people's front porches. We were walking around anyway. We needed to be outside. We needed something to do. We started just getting calls. Tell us about the, yeah, keep, keep on this track because I think what happens a lot of times, especially in today's day and age, social media, people think, oh, I'm going to start a business. I'll make a Facebook page. Loads of people will just come there and they'll call me or they'll email me or they'll message me and they'll ask me to, you know, they'll, they'll ask, how can they send me money? And that doesn't happen. That's a recipe for failure. You guys built a website, but you also started going to events. You're walking around with your baby and drop, you know, dropping off handwritten cards. What were the things that you were doing to go out and get the business instead of sitting back and waiting for the business to come to you? We did have cards with us everywhere we went. Every little community board had our card on it. Every vet office had a visit from us with a, some homemade cookies or something else that didn't cost anything. We, we did a lot of events. We did community events that were free. We only did free investments. We knocked on doors and then we just told the people that our very first client was a friend of my mother-in-law's. Again, he also lived 30 minutes away, but he was my first, he was my first, first client before this really even became a business. And we said yes, because he found out about us from my mother-in-law and we made it happen. 
So it's so cool. So you started off with the idea of doing something totally different than what you ended up with. But once you guys found that, okay, there's a need here and we it's a need we think we'd be okay filling for someone. We can provide a solution for this. You just went after it. You explored the opportunity and it sounds like you were prepared to talk to anybody and everybody, not just prepared, but intentionally, we're gonna go and talk to people about our pet sitting service and find out who's got a pet they want walked or viewed or whatever it may be that you guys do fed on a certain time. Like you were out there talking about it, evangelical about pet sitting. It helps to have a cute baby on your hip. People have a hard time walking away from you when you're trying to hand them your business card and you have a cute baby. We, I spent a lot of time. I would stop my car in a neighborhood if I saw anybody walking their dog and hand them my card and have a conversation with them. I am not a super outgoing person, but this was about feeding the family. This was about building something that was our own. So you were hustling, making this happen, doing whatever you had to do. Uh, during this transition uh, or this growth stage, let's say it's a year, let's say it's three years, whatever that may be for, for you and your husband, was, was there times the two of you were like, this isn't going to work or this isn't working or we're not making enough money or uh, I don't like this anymore. What did, were they panic moments throughout that time or were you just so focused on growing customers that that never entered your mind? Both. Okay. Every single day we thought this is never going to work. This is not things that people with degrees from the university of Georgia business school do with their lives. This is crazy. What are, when are we going to get real jobs? When are we going to go out and do something important and valuable and helpful and make some money? And well, until that happens, we better hustle and make this happen. This is what we're doing right now. This is what has to continue. And you guys have like, when you started out, when you made it again, a decision, we're going all in. Did you have specific goals set? We want to make X amount of money this month, or we want to get to this amount of income per month and this amount of time. Like, tell me about that. What was it like on this chase? Because it sounds number one, like from this vantage point, we're sitting here now talking about you as a successful business owner. It sounds it's fun to talk about. But when you're living that, it's exciting and exhilarating from the standpoint of you may not be able to pay your bills. So you gotta get out there and do <laughs> That's it. Right. But how are you able to get uncomfortable and go out there and do these things? And then what type of goals were you hanging out in front of yourself that you were chasing down? Luckily, I didn't have to have huge goals because of our choices in life. Because we're not having debt hanging over us, we were able to need a minimal amount of money. And we were happily newly married new parents. Again, you don't need a trip to New York to have a happy smile on your face when you have an adorable little cutie at home. That helped reduce the amount of pressure. I totally have no idea what your question was. It's okay. We'll edit this part out. That's good to Let's do that. So let's talk about getting uncomfortable. Because what you're doing is, again, a lot of people, they sit back. They, they think they can start a business and wait for it to come. You're, you, as you said, you're not oh, oh, an extrovert, yeah. right? Yes. You're out there hustling and talking to people and all these things. Like, what? How are you getting yourself to do that? I found a folder recently, a manila folder. This is my accounting. There was... <laughs> There was on the front of it, it said 2008, goal, $40,000. Yes. That was our goal for 2008. Okay, the you first, started this, 2007, right? Late 2007. Well, I, I personally started 2006. It became an actual family business late 2007. So even in the early days, you had an annual goal. You said, this is the number we want to hit. You were shoestring and everything, so I, no real expenses. Right. Let's... Let's not spend any money on advertising. Let's not pay for events. 
let's make 40 grand in revenue that goes straight in our pockets right. into our household. 40 grand in revenue was 40 grand in profit because we only had to put gas on that rebel. That's awesome. <laughs> that was I love it. it. So, so the, the, the million dollar question, did you hit the goal? I have no idea. <laughs> <laughs> no one has been hungry a day in our lives. I'll tell you that. That's fantastic. So back to, to kind of the money side, you're obviously more focused on the customer experience and growing the business than the actual, did we hit our goal? What was the exact number? Do you remember, was there a certain number you wanted to get to before you hired a team member or somebody additional to come on? Or was it just a workload situation? How did you make the decision to hire the first person and what did that mean for you financially? I think that we finally had enough opportunities where people were saying, we want you to do this with us or we want to, you know, your family should join us here that we had to have someone fill in for us on a weekend. Now we didn't work seven days a week, 12 hours a day. We worked on the weekends. We worked when everyone else wasn't working, which made it difficult to have a social life. But in the end, they were working five days a week and we were working two days a week. It was just the two days a week that no one else wanted to work. It was the weekend. We didn't feel like we were completely stressed out and overworked. Um, so, so you were working on the weekends, uh, you starting to occupy a lot of social time. And then was that the motivation for, to hire somebody to give us a little more time on the weekends or give us a little more freedom? Or was it the workload getting too heavy on certain days? We got to have some part-time staff. What, what led you in that direction? And was that something you went backwards financially to the point where you were losing money until you built the clients up or did you have the clients build and then? We grew very, very slowly. If there was an event that we absolutely could not say no to, that is when we would find a good person to fill in for us. And that's all it was at the beginning is, let's have someone fill in for us this weekend. Okay, that went well. Let's have that same person fill in for us again three weeks from now. Maybe one one weekend a month. Maybe. It started out very slowly. It was definitely not, hey, let's bring on a team member. It was, there's a wedding. We I have to go to this wedding. We've got to have someone else work. Because the idea of saying no to a client that needed us, that never occurred to us. Sure. Oh, you have your own thing to do? I, I never thought about saying no to a client because I assumed that they would call someone else. And then why would they call me back? If I said, no, I wasn't available. Apparently, now that I know other pet businesses, I was in the minority at the time. And thank goodness, because I'm sure that that's what led to our success. Availability. Yeah, and it's awesome, too. So obviously, you guys were both, from the the time you decided you were going to do this, you were committed. You you make the investment in the super sexy motorcycle that your husband's got. (laughs) You make the investment too. And like you said, we're not going to turn away a customer. Why would we do that? They may go somewhere else. And so you saw there's a problem. Let me solve it. Found somebody to pet sit for you. Do you remember the first person you had sub for you as a pet sitter? I'm assuming it was probably somebody that you knew you didn't Craigslist add it or like who, who was it? What type of people were you when you were subbing for yourself and your business so you could go to go on these, whatever it may have been, go to weddings or go on a weekend trip? Where did you find the people? I think that the first person that we had fairly consistently was a college student. I feel sure that we would have known her in some way because that's the only way we hired now, but I can't remember what that first connection was. Talking about the hiring now, what is your team like now? How many 
many people do you have? We have 19 sitters now. Oh, wow. Everyone is an independent contractor. They get to choose when they work. Some work practically full-time, and some work one or two hours a week, a weekend, a month. So in 10 years, you transitioned from just you and your husband figuring this out to a successful business with 19 different team members and offering employment opportunities for all sorts of flexible uh, schedules or things like that for the people that work with you. That's awesome. It's really cool. Um, I love service industry businesses. Like it's, they're not capital intensive to start and you're able to build them over time kind of based on uh, the time you have to commit to it. Um, Looking back on it, is this service industry, is that your calling? Is is that the area of business you love? Or as you look back on, on this business and how it's transitioned and where it stands now, um, how, do you, how do you look at business in general in the service industry? I think the service industry is where it's at. The level of service out there is so low that I'm telling you, being available was what set us apart in the beginning. It's so easy to provide a good service. It's so easy to stand out with a good service. But my very favorite thing about a service business is definitely that it's such low capital to start. Mm -hmm. If you have any sense, there is some service out there that you can provide to someone and you can make an actual living. 2008's goal, that was just that one year's goal. We did better (laughs) than that. Each year it went up and up. We didn't have to live on $40,000 our whole lives. It is endless. There's endless possibilities in the service industry. And once you learn the skill of building a team, communicating with clients, you can take that into any industry that you want. You don't have to start one service business and stay there like we did. So you think under the model you have built the pet sitter uh, business around, you can pick that up and apply it to a lot of different service industry businesses and build over time that same type of structure and level of success. Definitely. I definitely think that it can be done. I'm not sure that I am going to do it, Mm -hmm. but I would like to share this lifestyle with other people. I feel like the service industry gives you the opportunity to do it yourself, learn how to do it, document, systematize and document, and then help others have an opportunity to do the same thing. You can become a leader. You can jump back in and do what you want to do I mean I work with pets so I really enjoy that but I enjoy it while my kids are at school I enjoy it on the days I want to enjoy it other than that I have a team member and they get to enjoy it and they don't have to work when they don't want to work so it is a win-win that's fantastic as we talk about transitioning your model into other service businesses you are leading a course or getting ready to lead a course that that guides other business owners into some of these systems and things and experience you've learned. Is that correct? I would like to save someone else from missing 10 straight Christmases with their family. One Christmas, great. Miss that. Put it notch in your belt. That's important. But I'd like to help people learn a little more quickly than I learned. So if you're going to give somebody, if they're not in your area, they're in, you know, they're whatever, 200 miles from here, (laughs) and you're going to tell them about how to start, a service business. What are some of the challenges you faced early on that you think you could help them overcome? So let's say I'm in Denver, Colorado, and I want to start a pet sitting business. I mean, am I just throwing it out there saying, hell, I will, I will 
sit for any pet you have or how would you tell me to get started? What type of thing would you say, you might wanna focus on this when you're getting started. Is it just to do a shotgun approach and say, I'll sit for whatever pet you have or should I focus on goldfish? What should I do? I would encourage you to start a business as a side hustle. If you put all your eggs in this basket and you expect all of your income to come from your own personal sales and service, it's going to be really stressful. It's going to stress out yourself and, and you're just, it's just not going to be an enjoyable experience. So if you could start as a side hustle, start with pets that don't have a schedule. Like you said, the goldfish, a goldfish needs a visit just as much as someone else does, but they're on a flexible schedule. Limit yourself to the schedule that you could keep and do a great service with. And once you get enough clients doing a flexible schedule, then say yes and really say yes. Say yes to everything that you can. Once you've built up saying enough yeses, then you've earned the right to say no. Starting out on that same level, if I'm an entrepreneur and I'm going to start sitting goldfish, how do I price my model? Uh, how did you, how did you learn to price uh, your service? Was it based on your time? Was it based on value? Uh, how did you start, and where are you at now when it comes to a pricing model standpoint? Early on, there were not other websites listed with prices that you could just compare and see what everyone else was doing. So I took what I was making in the nonprofit industry in my last job that hourly rate and I applied it to the amount of time that I would be spending with the client. And that's how I priced it. We kept those low prices for years. We've only had two price increases in the 13 years. Now we are at the top of the spectrum. We charge more than the competitors in our area, but we are available 365 days a year. We can offer some things that my competitors can't and it's worth every penny and we have lots of clients that are happy to pay that price but in the beginning i would say start where you feel good about it because if you can't say what your price is to someone you won't be able to make any sales if it embarrasses you to say it it's going to be a tough sell so if maybe you lose out in the beginning of a few extra dollars it's better to just have those clients. And as you build, as you see how happy you're making your clients, as you see the peace of mind that you're providing for them, then you can build your own confidence and realize, you know, I'm worth this time. I can ask for a little bit more because you've earned the right. You've earned that value. Such great advice. Wow. From a pricing model and a confidence model. If you can't be comfortable sharing your price, you're in real trouble from a sales standpoint. That's such great advice. So you started out with an hourly rate backed into what you felt like your time was worth, but then grew it to a reputation and confidence and a value of what you're providing. And that's how your business operates now. That's, that's right. But so I, think, cool. I think it took time to do sure. that. I could that, not have said at the beginning, this is what our rate is. Pay it or don't. Doesn't matter to me. That was, that came with time. Um, you had mentioned nowadays there's, there's websites, there's competitors, you can look at rates all over the country. You can compare those things starting out. You didn't have that starting out. Technology was a lot different as you're looking at entrepreneurs starting down the service industry versus you 
handwriting business cards and, and baking cookies, which you can still do. But now there's Instagram, now there's Facebook, now there's WordPress, there's websites, there's Google AdWords. Do you feel it's easier for a young entrepreneur to start a business now or do you feel like it was easier 15 years ago? I don't think it was easier then or now. I think that you have to have some hustle. Just like Josh said at the beginning, you cannot throw a website up and think without any investment, without any time, people are going to come to me and say, can I pay you? I'd love to pay you. It's, it's not going to happen. You have to have some amount of hustle or some amount of investment. So as you've grown your business, you're the number one in our market for what you do and how you do it. People know who you are. You have a very respect, respectable name in, in, in the industry. Nobody badmouths you. Like You're awesome what you do. You're number one. You've overcome a lot of challenges to get there. As you just mentioned one, you had to figure out how to say what your price was with confidence. You had to figure out how to find good people who could take care of your clients. So you weren't the one doing all, the, like, all of the visits yourself. What are the challenges you face now in business, again, being number one, as you're scaling and growing to be a better version of Athens Pet Center, what type of challenges are you facing now that you're trying to overcome? We certainly still have conflict that occurs. We still have client expectations that aren't met once in a while. I've learned over the years some tricks. I will assume that the person that I have a conflict with is on my team. If a client calls and they are unsatisfied, I don't immediately assume that they're about to fire me and go look for someone else. We're going to come to a solution together and figure out what needs to be done. I had a client call. She came home. She said, my house smells like pee. That doesn't sound good, right? They should not come home to that. We chatted on the phone. We realized that her cat had some kind of sickness that was causing it to go outside of the box. She took the cat to the vet. She was thrilled that we came to the solution together, that we figured out what was wrong. And by the end of the day, she had booked more service because I didn't handle, oh my gosh, I'm so sorry. What did we do wrong? Uh, please don't fire me. I'm really concerned. Of course, I showed concern, but I assumed that we were on the same team, that we were going to come to a solution together. I do think at first, this is my fault and I need to fix it. That's my first inclination, but not in a self-deprecating way, just that I can be responsible for this. I can fix this. Whatever it was, it's fixable, and we're going to end up on as a win-win. We're going to end up on the same team. That's a really cool approach because most business owners are one camp or the other. They either your side of what do we do wrong, what can I do to fix it, do I give a free service, or they're the other side of getting really defensive. Well, it's not our fault. We showed up when we're supposed to, but there's a middle ground here. There's a, a team approach. There's a collaborative solution here. And that's, that's awesome for young business owners to hear is you don't have to immediately default one direction or the other. You're all here to figure out with your customer, the best option for everybody. That's really cool. Even 20 years in business, I need to reflect on that and, and to really consider that whenever there's an interaction takes place. That's great advice. Thank you. I do hear from other pet sitters on Facebook groups and such. Something went wrong. Should I offer a free visit? Should I offer to have them not pay for their service? Any service business is going to have something go wrong once in a while. It's all in how you handle what went wrong. That's awesome too, because you're not looking at the situation from a scarcity mentality. As Chad said, you're defensive 
is like, oh no, this is going to be bad for business. She's going to say something bad. So they're you know treating the customer like the enemy. And you're also not overcompensating for something that may not have been your problem. You're seeking to find the win-win and the solution from the very first issue. They're, they're mentioning something. You're saying, okay, let's, let's solve this problem together. That's a very mature business owner. It's, again, it's just so easy to be on one side or the other. Oh, I'm scared of losing business. So let me throw the kitchen sink and everything and you know give them free service for a year. Or the, we showed up, we were supposed to, the, the, the competitive standpoints. That's awesome that you're able, that's probably why you're number one in what you do in our area. Absolutely. I'll tell you another reason you're number one, and I assume it's okay to share this. If not, we can edit this out. Sorry, listeners. <laughs> I learned something within the past two weeks uh, with you and I talking and and, and sharing information and, and meeting together. You're very much a hands-on, put yourself in a situation to learn. Um, we had discussed last week, what if you done some work and be a part of consulting with our team here at the tax office? And your motivation to do it was to see what systems and things as a business we have in place you could take back to your business. But you had a similar situation from a position you you uh, signed up for for a, a temporary time just to learn about how somebody else uh, operates in business. That's so cool. Will you share a little bit about why you decided to do that, why you're thinking about doing it now, and and what you learned and and how that impacted your business. That's so untraditional and different than most business owners have their own business to get away from working for somebody else. But you put yourself right back in the fire. Tell us a little bit about that and why and what you learned. One thing that I do wish I could have done better in growing my business is creating a team environment, coming to an accountant earlier, getting hiring a webmaster earlier. I thought I graduated from business school. Wait, why can't I be an accountant master? Why is there, I want to be a master. Anyway, go ahead. <laughs> master accountant. Yeah. He's a webmaster, but I'm just an accountant. I want to be yeah, an accountant master. Like How do I get that time? <laughs> I will deem you that when, Thank you. when you're ready. Okay, you can continue now. So you found good people. You're saying if you could go back and change something, instead of figuring, like thinking that you knew, knew it all yourself, or you could figure it out all by yourself, you would start going out and looking for people who knew more than you knew about certain subjects, like an accountant master. Thank you, Josh. Like a webmaster and bringing credible, competent professionals, (laughs) serial CFO in the background, to the table earlier. Is that what you're saying? Starting to build a a little bit of a team earlier on? That's exactly right. I didn't really feel like I knew everything. I just felt like maybe I also was just being cheap and didn't want to invest in other, other people's services, if we're being honest. And once I learned that Every entrepreneur, even if they're not in my industry, they have so much that they've learned in the time that they're doing whatever it is that they're doing. I can learn from them. Chad shared about a time several years ago, and I went to work in a real estate office. And the reason I did it was I thought my business was at the top of its game. I thought there's no way anybody is making more money pet sitting than we're making right now. It, it, there's only 150,000 people in this area. We must be maxed out. I went to work at this real estate office and I had already read eMyth. I thought I understood systems, but when I saw it in business, in a place in business where everything was actually documented, how you spoke on the phone to someone, how you had a checklist for any activity, I realized, oh, I need to take that back into my business and make sure that everything is really documented, is really clear. 
So that's awesome because I think a lot of times as well when we're getting started in our entrepreneur adventure that we become somewhat solopreneurs. We can get isolated, especially when you're doing most of the work yourself and you don't have time to spend with other business owners or really to educate and learn what other people are doing. And as you're saying, you were in this real estate office and their, their systems were probably better than yours at the time. You're seeing the way somebody else is doing something. You can learn from that and then go back and apply it. It's so easy to miss the mark on that. I think especially on the financial end. Business finance is so much different than personal finance. It's hard to learn that completely 100% on your own without making tons and tons of mistakes. And that's where you don't want to make tons and tons of mistakes. There's a reason why most businesses fail. We've all heard the statistic is 80% fail in what five years and the next five years, you know, 80% more fail. I think it's largely to do with not having the right financial guy on your team. But it's the same if you're always trying, if you have a business that you need a great website, to bring in, that's where the referrals and leads are coming from. And you're just always trying to be the guy designing your own website. Like that may be the time to release the sweat equity and go for some actual cash, pay somebody to provide their expertise in that service. Chad, what do you think? Um, Absolutely. I was part of that same mindset and growing my businesses of, I just need to do everything myself. I, I don't know that I can afford to pay somebody. I don't, it's not that I didn't trust who I would hire. I just felt like I didn't know enough to be able to monitor. Was this the right decision for me? Was was the service they're providing uh, the value of what I was paying for? So uh, early on, a lot of things I tried to do internally, and that was a huge learning curve for me is um, hiring outside. And then also reading and podcasts. Those things have changed my business life because Emeth in particular, that's one of the first business books I, I read. Me and too. It's just, I mean, just blew my mind away. I had, I was the, I was the example in that book. Mm-hmm. I was the, uh, the baker baking my own pies, and it just, uh, it really changed my mentality behind uh, trying to work myself out of my business and hire the right professionals and hire more team members. And even though financially you're probably not quite ready, you're trying to hire for growth and you're trying to get the right people and the right seats on the bus and build your team and. That's hard for me because I'm very numbers minded. I'm very budget profit based. And it was always about hitting a number, not necessarily building a team or building for growth. And next year I had a, I need to hit this number to the bottom line. And I had to learn that's not the answer for sustainable long-term growth. I have to build a team. I have to hire professionals. I have to make those decisions a year in advance. And that I think is something from a, Anybody out there listening that is a young business owner or that's still struggling with those things, a huge piece of advice and something I think we've all learned as we grow. You're in a position right now, uh, your business is financially successful, uh, you have freedom, you have time, you're, you and your family this summer are taking a month long vacation, uh, you have 19 team members who love what they do and you've built systems. Where do you go from here? What is the, are you pursuing next levels of success inside your business? Are you pivoting other directions? Are you retiring and riding off into the sunset? What does the future hold for you and your husband and the business? And where do you go from here? Athens Pet Sitter is doing 12,000 pet visits this year. Wow. Again, I think we're kind of maxed out. I don't, I don't see us growing further. 19 people to manage and work with personalities and schedules. That's enough. Feel good about that. What I would like to do next is continue to make this a happy place for my sitters to work. I don't want them to be overwhelmed. 
I want them to have enough, make as much money as they want to make based on the time they want to they want to give. And I want to continue to provide consistent quality service to my clients. And I think staying at a reasonable size will help us continue that, that level of service. But I can't stop doing. I can't stop learning and yes. growing. I have, the, I have it now. I have the entrepreneurial bug. It'll never go away. I can't imagine a traditional retirement. The next thing I want to do is teach other people how to have a profitable business. There's a million pet sitters out there, but are they working all day long and really have nothing to show for it at the end? Are they keeping our industry low? Are they providing a service that they're not proud of? I want to help change that. I want people to be proud when they say, I'm a pet sitter. I want them to get the reaction I get from my clients. My clients say, you gave me peace of mind. I, I never left town before I hired your company. I would never leave my babies before I hired your company. And I want other people to have that satisfaction with what, how they spend their day. And the profit is surprising. That's great. Uh, that's the great thing about the service industry, too, is if you can perfect your model, the profit margins can be really significant and really beneficial. And especially for growth, if you did decide to grow it, again, it doesn't take a lot of capital investment. Do you see yourself going into other markets also or just switching to a coaching, training, teaching scenario for you and your husband? I see Daniel and I going into the coaching and teaching others. We would like other people to get to experience the joy of waking up on Christmas morning with someone else's puppy. (laughs) our 13 christmases of doing that that's that's enough love it love it all right let's talk about some fun stuff let's switch gears for a second uh there's two questions i've been dying to ask since i met you and the first one is working with your spouse working day-to-day hand-in-hand stressful situations managing 19 people uh, is that awesome? Is that terrible? Has it been fantastic for your marriage? Uh, have y'all set rules and boundaries? How, how do you navigate that? What is it like? Yes. <laughs> it is It is every day. I, I don't know what we would do without the business. I don't know what we would talk about. We don't have clear roles. We probably should. But this is working for us for now. It's like parenting. We don't really have clear roles on that either, and we're doing okay there. It is, It infiltrates every part of our life, but also it's almost running in the background at this point. Sure. I am not bothered by the fact that we might bring up clients every Friday when we're on our date lunch, but every Friday we're on a date lunch. And it's not a management meeting. We're not going through all the problems of of whoever said this and did that. It's really just something to fill our time. So you've got scheduled, built-in personal time. We're doing this every week. And we may talk about business. We may not. But we're doing something for us. Every Friday. Every Friday is our date day. We spend the day together. We shop. We fortify ourselves before our children get home for the weekend so we can provide a united front and Say no, no, <laughs> together. What are you going to say no about? I'll say no about this. All right, you say no about that. That's where we have to find roles. Awesome. Love it. Question two. 
All right. We need some entertaining pet stories. Um, you've got 13 years of experience. I know there's situations where goldfish got flushed down the toilet or dogs got lost and got found an hour later and the owner never knew. And what are the, what are some, this is when the secret comes out. As yeah, I mentioned this is secret we're, comes we're not going to use now. any names. We're not going to use any addresses. I need some stories. Cause I cannot imagine. I, I have two dogs, three cats and six ducks and, they're my own and we have stories every week. I can't imagine the things you've experienced and seen and panicked and the world was over and then it all got figured out before anybody knew. Share some of those things with us. Tell us some of the juicy stuff behind the pet sitting industry. The only thing wrong with scaling your business and not going out on as many visits is you have less stories to entertain people with. Mm-hmm. So I had to really dig and think about things that have happened over the years. We have had a cat pass away. We had a sitter arrive and the cat was stiff, I should say. Oh no. Weekend at Bernie's. You prop it up on the couch. You guys carry around all weekend. Take pictures and send it to the owner. Bernie's doing just fine. Luckily this client had been a very happy client for a long time. The sitter called Daniel, told told him what she found, and he called the client and had to leave a voicemail. I need you to call me back about something. He called back. Daniel broke the news. He said, oh man, I am so sorry. The client said to Daniel, I am so sorry. We knew that cat was sick. We should have told you. We apologize. We need you to put the cat in the freezer and we'll have somebody come pick it up to be taken care of. Oh, wow. Complete shift. Yeah. yeah, Again, don't assume the negative. It might, might be just fine. I'll tell you, my very best client now started out our very first interaction when she got home from her uh, maybe five overnights that I provided. I got a message to provide a complete and thorough schedule of all of my comings and goings from her house Uh-oh. and that the police would be in touch. Wow. I got no more details. I put the schedule together. I sent it to her in the way she wanted. I called, I texted, and she finally said, I will not be speaking to you about this situation. You'll hear from the police. Now, I knew I hadn't done anything wrong, but I still was in a panic. What could possibly have gone on? Well, turns out her cleaning lady had also known that I would be a new person in the house. And so she took that opportunity to relieve this family of some of their cash and jewelry. Wow. I was quickly cleared. No, police never even got involved with me. What a uh, frame situation. You're the new person in the right, equation, right. and now things go missing. Yeah, and that's hey. a lovely necklace you're wearing right now. So <laughs> now where did that and come here, from? Here we, we go, Josh. Receipt. It's always the cleaning company's fault. <laughs> exactly. Everything right. falls back on the cleaning company. Now, see, she had been using a not a professional team. She just had a cleaning lady. Okay. So Thank you for the plug sure there. she has learned her lesson. So, so seriously, ever like, you know, no, dogs and cats are sneaky and wily and wild uh escapes and those things is that yeah. y'all's, y'all's biggest fear is that the, like the, my, y'all okay. have a protocol behind that what happens don't let it happen that's my protocol <laughs> okay. people always say when we do the meet and greet they always say now my cat likes to escape and i say oh we are in stealth mode we know how to open and close a door we're not going to let your cat out because Seriously, 12,000 visits. If we let a cat out even just once in a while, that would add up pretty quickly. But of course, it happens. And it happened last week. Sitter opened the door, did not even step out of the door jam, set the thing in the garage that she needed to set down. 
left, had already taken pictures of the pets, posted it, let the client know everything was fine. An hour later, I get a phone call on the business line that says, hey, I've got my next door neighbor's cat in my garage. This is an indoor only cat. There was no chance this was the right cat. I said, no, no, no. I see right here where the sitter has taken a picture of the cat. It's in the house. But I called the sitter. So you need to go over there and just make sure that this is not the right cat. She went over there. It was the right cat. <laughs> I called the people. They were out of the country. But because I was in a panic mode, now everything was fine. The cat was safe. The neighbors had let us know. But I was still upset that we had allowed something to happen. So I called them out of the country. And they said... Okay, as long as everything's fine. Wow. And to go even further, this client has left town again, and they specifically requested that same sitter to come to their house because I think they truly understood she was immediately there. She handled it immediately. She was clearly horrified that this had happened on her watch. She'd been with me for years, and this never happened before. And the neighbors got to see this person, everybody's going to make a mistake once in a while, but she handled it so beautifully. It made us look great. That's great. You turned a negative into a positive and now they're a loyal customer. I love it. It seems happens. like it happens over and over again. We're just, we're past letting negatives be negatives. Negatives are going to be positives. And instead of, instead of avoiding conflict or avoiding a stressful situation, I'm sure there was, a, there was some stress that you felt when you're dealing with it, but you, you dealt with it quickly, mm-hmm. which is what you should do. And what the customer probably appreciated is you dealt with it fast and you solve their problem for them. And so many people, again, as entrepreneurs, something goes a little bit off and we have a panic attack thinking of how the customer may may respond. And most of the time, probably going to respond, okay, as long as you handle it with professionalism. Yeah. The first thing I said to the neighbor was, this sitter that was there has been with me since 2015. I started building up their confidence. This is wild. This has never happened before. And I think it worked out well. That's really awesome. Staying on my sitter side has proven helpful time and again. Yeah, I like that. I got a a quick funny story, um, kind of about pet sitting, but not really. On our honeymoon, uh, our dogs stayed with my in-laws, my wife's uh, parents. We were going on our honeymoon, got back, uh, went to my in-laws' house. Everything was great. Our lavender retriever was great. Such easy to take care of. No problems. Everything was smooth. So we're on the way back home. And we'd have been out of the country, so I'm just now getting all my voicemails. So I'm checking my voicemails, and uh, I get one. Hey, this is so-and-so. We have your lab. Uh, he's on this street. Blah, blah, blah. And we're like, wait a minute. That was from like six days ago. Our lab had ran off, had got captured by a neighbor like four streets over, had got away, ran back. My in-laws never even knew it. They had no idea he was even gone, so it was uh we still give them a hard time about that. All right. Know. I will not be hiring your in-laws as <laughs> yeah, seasonal pets. Well, yeah. Not the ideal. Uh, That's why you and Lauren don't have kids, too, as <laughs> I understand it now. Yeah, we can't take your kids over there for a week. <laughs> oh, you know, you asked me who was my first pet sitter. I just remembered a story. My mother-in-law pet sit for us at one Uh-oh. point. This could right be really after, good or really bad. Yes. Now, remember that she was my boss before I married her son. I became her boss in this short period of time. She went to a client's house and somehow let the bird out of the cage. The pet cat ate the bird. Oh no. The client came home. This sounds like a movie. And 
they're just bird feathers all over the floor. I hope you refunded that fee. There was a question earlier about crazy stories that happened, and somehow this one didn't enter into the cat ate the bird, and the mother in law was involved. That's the story he was looking for. You forget these things that happen. See, I don't think I think I did end up paying for that bird. I didn't figure out how to turn that one into a positive, so that's why it didn't stick with me. Wow, they wanted a new bird anyway. Is the mother in law still employed? Definitely not. That was the one and only. You should have called her to handle that dead cat that y'all had. She's had experience (laughs) with the dead animals. So, Melinda, wrapping up, you told us earlier about some of the testimonials that you've gotten from clients. And as business owners, it always feels good to us when a client expresses to us how we serve them well. That's always a fun thing. It's gratifying seeing that, you know what, we're doing a good job, especially here, obviously, in the service business. But other than your clients saying great things about you and knowing that you're providing a high-quality service, what are some of the best moments that you've experienced either in business or because of your business, you've been afforded some opportunities. What are the best moments you've had as a result of starting this company? We had a client that moved to Georgia from Martha's Vineyard. They were great clients for seven years, took care of their pets pretty frequently. That was the time when my husband was doing a lot of the visits himself. So he kind of got to know this client pretty well. And she would say, you should go visit our house in Martha's Vineyard. We're living down here. It's open. You should go take your family. And of course, we assumed she was making small talk and never took her up on it. They moved back to Martha's Vineyard. And a few months later, they called and said, we haven't found a pet sitter. We're going to be gone for a week. If we fly your family up here, can y'all pet sit for us? Absolutely. Well, yes, we can. Thank goodness we had learned to scale our business and go on vacation. And we took her up on that, and now we have made it an annual trip. We now go up there just to visit, hang out. Fantastic. Now, I'm going to assume when you made that decision over 10 years ago, we're going to go full-time in the pet-sitting business because my husband lost his job. We're going to make this our deal. Paid trips to Martha's Vineyard. Probably were never part of that idea when you were going for 40,000 in your first year you, you, that probably wasn't part of it right like one of these days i'm Martha's sure you cast cast the vision with daniel we're going to end up being flown out to martha's vineyard to pet sit for a week martha's vineyard and forty thousand dollars are not two things that go together <laughs> <laughs> if you could somebody starting out in the service industry a young entrepreneur trying to grow a side gig or start a business if you could give them one piece of advice right now what would it be? What would, what would be your one thing you'd want to share? I would explain to them that sales have to come first and then perfection. If you can't sell your service or your product, it really doesn't matter how good it is. Very quickly, your service and product needs to be your best piece of marketing. But in the beginning, you have to be able to make sales. You have to be able to talk confidently about what you have to offer Even if what you have to offer isn't perfect yet, it's better to get it out there, get some experience of talking about prices. You have to understand how to deal with people when they ask you for a discount because they will always ask you for a discount and you need to be prepared for what to say and when discounts are appropriate. Would you like to know when discounts are appropriate? Yes. Never. Ooh, good advice. Never discount. I don't have to put my product on sale to drive business? You really don't. Not if you have a good product. I like it. The serial CFO loves hearing someone talk about no (laughs) discounts, no discounts. Now, I've been fortunate enough to be able to take a sneak peek into some of the courses that Melinda has created. I'm telling you all, if you know somebody who wants to start 
a service business, specifically if they want to start a pet sitting company, or if you know someone you think may want to start a pet pet sitting company, but really, if they're willing to start a business on the side as a side gig in the service business at all, this is a great course that they can take and get started rolling with what Melinda is doing. Melinda, tell us how we can find you on the internet as well as your course. You can find me, you can send me a message, and you can see the courses available at ProfitablePetSitter.com. ProfitablePetSitter.com. Chad just wrote that down. He'll be going to see that very soon. And Melinda, we thank you so much for taking some time to spend it with us today. It's always fun to get to hear someone's entrepreneur adventure. Most of the time, they don't end up in Martha's Vineyard, but for yours, that's the peak. That's awesome. And we'll see what happens next for you. I'm sure at some point, too, we'll bring her back on. Absolutely. So much more to learn here. We'll check out a couple of courses. We'll have some podcasts around the courses, share some more. I think you have so much experience and value that you can share with young entrepreneurs. We'll love to have you back on and do this again soon. Sounds great. Awesome, Melinda. Thank you so much. And until our next episode, chase down your entrepreneur adventure. Thank you for joining us for this episode of The Entrepreneur Adventure. If you enjoyed today's conversation, please be sure to like and subscribe to The Entrepreneur Adventure wherever you listen to podcasts. Also, be sure to check us out on the web at www.theentrepreneuradventure.com and follow us on Facebook and Instagram as well. And remember, The Entrepreneur Adventure does not have to be traveled alone, but is a journey to be shared. We'll catch you next time on Entrepreneur Adventure, where we give you the tools to climb higher and faster than ever before.